Normally, I'll start out a podcast with an introduction, a soundbite or two, and then I'll jump into the show. Today, I want to begin the podcast by saying how much I deeply appreciate each and every one of you. And I want people to understand that coming into this podcast, this is a podcast that was requested. This is a podcast that's by the people and for the people. People reached out to me specifically and said, hey, Ken, we want you to speak about Ice Cube and we want you to speak to this Ice Cube issue. And I'm going to do exactly that. And as I promised um, to those of you on Facebook last night, uh, this is going to be a very layered conversation for the simple fact that what Ice Cube did. And let's be perfectly clear about what Ice Cube did before we really take a deep dive into what's going on here. Ice Cube did not endorse Donald Trump, has not endorsed Donald Trump. What Ice Cube has done, whether you agree with it or not, and we're going to get into that, is he advised Trump on policy. It's also worth mentioning that Ice Cube, in good faith, reached out to both political parties, uh, that being you know the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, with his contract with Black America. One party, the Democrats, said that they would speak to Ice Cube after the election. Uh, one party said that they obviously would meet with Trump before the election. That was the Republicans. And so Ice Cube moved accordingly and mentioned that on Twitter. And now here we are now being on social media, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. I've heard a lot of ridiculousness. I've heard about how, you know, this is Ice Cube. Uh, he's going to, you know, sway black male voters uh, to vote for Trump. You know, there's a significant portion of black men who want to vote for Trump. Like I've heard a lot of ridiculousness. Let me mention that black men vote Democrat at an 80 percent clip. Uh, the only uh, stronger uh, loyalty uh, to one party is, of course, black women. And that's also with the Democratic Party. So loyalty is not the question. And if there is a question, it's why should black people be so loyal to the Democratic Party when the party basically, you know, tells them to wait at every turn, you know, where we have to save our democracy. So you, you have to vote for this lesser of two evils. But I'm not going to get into that so much in this podcast as I want to focus on some key points. I want to actually take a look at Cube's contract with Black America. And I want to look at it contextually. I also want to look at it while also talking about the platinum plan that the Trump administration is pushing. And I'm also want to look at that in terms of the lift every voice plan uh, that Biden and his team are pushing. I also want to take a hard look at the Democrats and why it is that they feel so comfortable with telling black folks to wait and why uh, we as black people have not gotten the return on investment from the Democratic Party in terms of uh, policy changes, uh, in terms of wealth disparity and things of that nature. And finally, I'm going to be really honest about our political structure, our political infrastructure and just our general perspective of politics, because I think a lot of us think that politics begin and end with voting. And I think this ice cube uh, dynamic is really significant into an understanding of where we stand politically, because if the only thing that a man whose net worth is one hundred and sixty million dollars, if the only thing that he can aspire to is, quote unquote, a seat at the table, then the rest of us really have less than ice cubes chance in hell. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage, almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth, but not to make no dough. To make a difference. 
Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Just want to take a moment just to say I'm grateful uh, to be uh, speaking with you guys today. I mean, with everything that's going on with us still being in the middle of a pandemic, we've lost so many people this year. Just the fact that I'm able to sit down and, you know, we're able to have this dialogue together. I'm really appreciative of that. Keeping that in mind, I want to start out this podcast with a very compelling quote from Dr. Sandy Darity, who was a former guest uh, on the Making a Different show with his wife. And he is maybe the leading voice or is definitely one of the leading voices on black reparations. He had this quote on Twitter that I want to share with you guys, and I think it'll provide a great starting point for where I want to go with this conversation. He said, I like to make a distinction between bipartisanship and nonpartisanship. The former will result in you seeking a conversation with a white supremacist president. The latter will result in you having one party or the other come to you with a policy agenda that merits your vote. Now, the way that people interpreted this on Twitter was really interesting. Um, but I understand the heart of what Dr. Darity is talking about, because when you say the former will result in you seeking a conversation with a white supremacist president, most of us will say, oh, well, he's talking about Trump. But then you have to take a look at Joe Biden. And if you understand Joe Biden's record policy and some of the things that he said, that assessment could in some ways also be made of the former vice president Biden. And with that said, I think that's a really good starting point to have this discussion because I'm going to be consistent and build on just some of the things I've said to you all in the past in terms of just my feelings on celebrity culture and, you know, whom should be, you know, who we should allowed to lead these conversations, all of these different types of things. My initial response to hearing about Ice Cube and, you know, advising the Trump administration on policy, I was disappointment. And the initial commentary that I had, you know, was that I'm tired of people negotiating on behalf of black folks in bad faith. Um, me saying bad faith certainly could, you know, be criticized because, once we all heard that Cube tried to meet with both Democrats and Republicans and only one party would meet with him, you can't, you know, some would say, well, you can't say that, you know, he met, uh, met with Trump in bad faith because he tried to reach out to both parties. I do think there's a bit of ego. And of course, this goes with celebrity. I think there's a bit of ego involved when you believe that you can cobble or put together a document and present it to a holy uh, supremacist regime and administration and think that, okay, once I present this, then, you know, it's going to uh, change the fate or change the direction of their policy. I think that the Trump administration on the whole, uh, over the last four years, they've, they've shown you what and who they believe in. And even now, you know, some of the things that Trump has said and how he's doubling down uh, for, you know, the support of his base. I think we know who Trump is. And so that takes me to two points. The first point being, what is a seat at the table really worth within that context? And also, what are you presenting? Is it compelling enough that it justifies you making a deal with the devil? And this is where I go back to the beginning, because it could be argued that whether Cube worked with Democrats or Republicans, he would, in fact, be making a deal with the devil. Before I go over the contract with Black America, I want to mentioned that I have looked at both the platinum plan that Trump is presenting and I've looked at the lift every voice platform that um, Joe Biden and the Biden team that they're presenting. 
And I want to say that both are hopelessly and woefully inadequate um, in dealing with uh, the issues that African-Americans face in this country. And there's a lot of lip service that's being paid to the problems, which is to say that I think that the establishment understands that there are gross disparities um, in terms of race. They understand that there is a vast historical record of the mistreatment of black Americans. They're just not going to do anything about it. And it's not that they can't. It's that they won't. When you look at Trump's plan, the platinum plan, you'll notice that the language is different in terms of policing. It doesn't really speak to policing, which obviously, you know, when we talk about uh, some of the issues in terms of equity as it relates to black folks, you got to talk about police, not just the way that police treat black people and the racism that's baked into that system, but also the fact that we spend entirely too much on policing. And so if you're going to have a plan, the, there has to be a, a redistribution of wealth. And I'm going to talk about a redistribution of wealth um, politically, not only. And when, and when I say politically, obviously, the, the police falls into that. But I want to talk about it in terms of because I, because I do want to show how a lot of what happens in politics in terms of where, how, where the money goes and where the money's directed and redirected. A lot of that is a sham. And I, I do want to get into that today. I think that's an, an important part of this conversation. But I'll just say this in general, because I do if you I do want you all to look at Trump's platinum plan and Joe Biden's plan. I even want you to look at the contract with black America for yourselves so much of. And this is where I'm going to have to say that just the community on the whole is going to have to become better. There is an over reliance on media in terms of basic ideology, in terms of basic understanding. And I take great pride and responsibility in that role because I understand that informing you is more important than entertaining you. And that's not to say that um, entertainment is not a component into what we do, because I understand, hey, you know, you don't want to listen to a preachy monotone, you know, over an extended period of time. But the information is why you're here. And the information is so much more important than entertaining you. That's something that's missing uh, in mass media and majority media in general. I'm saying all of that to say, if the media outlet or outlets that you rely on, if their primary goal is to entertain you, then your talking points are empty. They're misinformed. And I think you see a lot of that in the comment sections. And, you know, you end up arguing with people back and forth for however long it is that you argue with folks. And at the end, everybody comes back and, you know, there's a, a culture of misinformation. In a lot of ways, it's like what happens in church where, you know, we we've given our money to churches for generations and a lot of us will never co come back and read, you know, whatever literature or, or document it is that your religion subscribes to, you know, I subscribe to the Bible. And, but what happens is that you say, well, I, I'd rather listen to Reverend such and such and what he has to say and in his interpretation of the Bible or the gospel instead of actually reading that document for myself. And so you create a destiny for yourself where you're relying on an imperfect person, not to say that the document is perfect per se, but the idea is that whatever you believe in stands on that document, not the person who's teaching the document. I hope that makes sense. Read these things for yourself. Trump's plan, Biden's plan, so on and so forth. Any plan that's going to provide access and opportunity to black folks has to involve reparations. If the plan does not have reparations, a federal plan for rep reparations, then it is not adequate. 
the wealth disparities are too wide. The systemic racism is too baked in to not have a plan for reparations. And that's why I'm so glad I started out this conversation with Dr. Darity, because Dr. Darity has presented a document from here to equality. He's presented decades of research in regards to reparations. This isn't about, you know, how you feel, you know, black people don't need a handout. I, that's gibberish because we understand how this capitalist society works and we understand how folks like Jeff Bezos and a lot of these corporate overlords get bailouts and get handouts. But when it comes to working class Americans, all of a sudden now we're too good for a handout. It's BS. And I'm really trying not to go off track here, but it's just uh, all of these things really tie in together uh, to the current state of affairs and why Ice Cube felt compelled to, you know, present uh, the contract with black America. And I and I do wish this that that Cube had done this. And I do want to shout out my man. I don't know whether to call him TTC or call him Chicago Wind, but he said his primary angst with Cube was that he didn't reach out to and allow people who are more researched and studied on the topic to take the lead. And, and the reason why that happens is it's very simple. Here's what celebrity culture does. We allow celebrities there. There's there's a clear knowledge gap between someone like a Dr. Darity and an Ice Cube. And that's no disrespect to Ice Cube. But where we allow Ice Cube to make up the gap for someone who's more informed is Ice Cube celebrity. And we do that with a lot of celebrities. We allow them, we say, oh, well, he, you know, he's a rapper or, you know, she was on this show. And we uh, erroneously allow that to make up uh, for a knowledge gap. Celebrities should never trump knowledge in that way. But that's what we do societally. That's what we do emotionally. And I think that's even why it resonates, you know, with people when Ice, when it, you know, Ice Cube says, well, you know, I spoke to, you know, I, I worked with Trump on this policy. I think it it hurts people in a way because of where we place uh, celebrity in terms of our hierarchies. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. The celebrity lifestyle is so different from the working class lifestyle. And it is, it's destructive almost for a working class person to try to live uh, and have their life mirror that of a celebrities and to take on the talking points of a, of a celebrity when it comes to building wealth, when it comes to profound structural reform, because they, they're simply living in a different world. If it's, if it's not that they're misinformed, it's that they're selfish and they're trying to protect their own class interests, class interests being the key term there. But with all of that said, I do want to go through the contract with Black America. Um, there are 13 points that I want to share uh, with everybody. The first being a bill to guarantee black opportunity and representation, uh, adopt a plan of neo-reconstruction to redress past wrongs systematically imposed on black Americans economically through many generations that's resulted in a wealth gap, so on and so forth. Um, economic initiatives listed below. I don't see anything here specifically that speaks to reparations. I'm not entirely sure if Cube has spoken to that um, in the past, rep again, reparations, non-negotiable has to be a part of any type of discussion uh, to restore. And, and 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 let me say it like this, because and I'm going to go again just with Dr. Darity's model, ARC, uh, the A being acknowledgement, R being redress, C being closure. And there are a lot of different things that go into that. It's not just about the money. I'm just going to recommend this I, as I have recommended it to people countless times. From Here to Equality is the name of the book by Dr. Sarah, 
excuse me, <laughs> Dr. Sandy Darity and Kirsten Mullen. You can actually, if you don't want to, if you want to uh, try it before you buy it, uh, Google, I want to say they have the first 50 pages that you can read for free. If you read them, it's going to grab you and it's not going to let you go. I don't care what your nationality is. It is such a compelling um, presentation. And it's really going to just teach you a lot of different things about history. Uh, but anyway, back to the contract of black America. The second is uh, bank lending reform. Uh, bank lending will be will be regulated to require banks to lend a percentage of all loan and credit categories on, a, on an equal basis uh, to the black population. Each bank serves uh, going on to federal funding of baby bonds. Uh, Federal Reserve and government pensions for qualified black Americans uh, look a qualifier, you know, finance oversight, a lot of, you know, uh, focus on um, economics, personal data and credit. I'm actually going to go ahead and read this one in its entirety. Uh, most states publicly release bulk data about arrestees unchecked, like the 1970 Fair Credit Report Act reporting act regarding regarding credit data. There must be guidelines regarding arrest records that allow similar privacy and accuracy protections and the right to dispute and correct inaccurate data. Credit services will be reformed to mandate consideration of individual consumer data on rent, utility, cell phone, and other like bill payments. Um, there are just a lot of different things here. Prison reform, judicial reforms, police reform act, uh, FCC licensing of public airwaves, Confederate monuments and institutions, uh, AJP, uh, it's a public-private program that provides access to jobs and education and or training for people willing to put in the work and commitment. And I, it's the the wording there and the phrasing there is something that jumps out at me because I do think as much as, you know, some of this contract with Black America, you know, does want to speak to some of the wealth um, disparities. I think some of it does get into re uh, respectability politics. And it's to me, it's hard to differentiate uh, in a way. There, there has to be an understanding. There has to be a cause and an effect. The question I've always asked is, you know, do you put more of the onus on government responsibility or personal responsibility? And people hate when I say government responsibility. But the reason why I say that is because government is more in a position to deal with the systemic attributes of some of the things that we see uh, in our communities. A indiv The individual can quite possibly well it, and in some situations it's very hard for the individual to deal with things on their terms because of the systemic problems that are going on around them and again people hate when i say things like this but it's just it's cause and effect uh but anyway the 13th piece of the contract with black america is black responsibility i'm going to read this in its entirety uh chronic poverty creates an atmosphere full of negativity frustration hopelessness depression alcoholism drug abuse crime and violence there are these are some of some of the conditions that plague the black community, which is dealing with extreme generational poverty. As we begin to gain social and economic equality, it is our duty to clean up ourselves and our community. This contract is a two way street. As we gain social and economic equality, we must begin to dissolve any bitterness in our hearts for past wrongs. We must become better citizens who are more productive on all levels of American society. I got to stop there. Because I want people to understand that however you feel about black folks, understand it is our labor that built this country and drives this MF. Back to Cube. Um, we really must step up after we pass the contract with Black America with no more excuses left in the kitty. Our entertainers should be persuaded to deliver more positive content that leads our youth to make better choices in life. A new pride must develop with these new opportunities and we must fight against negativity, frustration, hopelessness, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, crime, and violence. It's respectability politics. And understand that 
I use this, the word police and there's a way that there's a policing that happens in the, in among black people where it's to say, okay, well, if you get this now, you got to act this, this certain type of way. We don't do that to white folks and we never will do that to white folks. There's a way that even in the midst of this pandemic that we can say, okay, you know, we're looking at how the GOP, how they politicize mask and how, you know, people who are aligned with Republicans or T-Publicans have not policed themselves in a way that has helped to curb or eliminate uh, this pandemic. Are, do we punish people for that? No. Have we punished people for that? No. And I will say this about Ice Cube. The man tried. And there it, it does mean something to try. Do I think that Ice Cube has a heart for black people? Yes. I think that, you know, the music that he's put out and the various presentations he's offered, you know, has alluded to that in some way. But at the end of the day, is the contract for black America compelling enough? Is it sufficient enough to merit sitting down and making a deal with the devil or devils? The answer is no. I've literally seen better. I'm look, I, I, I have the book right here. Look, I'm going to slap the I have better right here in my hand. That book, along with a series of other books, along with an appreciation for scholars and historians, that's my standard. Now, with all of that in mind, when I come back, I got to talk about the Democrats because the Democrats do not respect the brand loyalty of African-Americans, period. And we're going to talk about it when we come back to Making a Difference. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. What the hell is wrong with the Democrats to where they can say, you know what? We don't care what Ice Cube has to say or not that we don't care. We're just going to, hey, look, get lost. We're trying to win an election here. We'll get back to you after the election. And I'll say it like this. I feel like Democrats energy is, look, we gave you Obama. We gave you the first quote unquote black president. You know, aren't you in words grateful for that? And it's like I've said about the Democrats in the past. The difference between Republicans and Democrats, from my perspective, is that Republicans don't want to hear what you have to say. Democrats would rather speak for you than to hear what you have to say. And here's a great example. There's a dialogue that happened on CNN between uh, Nancy Pelosi and Wolf Blitzer. And I think this is a great indication uh, of that type of energy where the Dems, you know, say, hey, we know what these people need. We know what these people want. As you know, there are Americans uh, who are being evicted from their homes. They can't pay the rent. Many Americans are waiting in food lines for the first time in their lives. Uh, can you look them in the eye, Madam Speaker, and explain why you don't want to accept the president's latest stimulus offer? Well, because, uh, thank you very much, uh, Wolf, and I, I hope you'll ask the same question 
of the Republicans about why they don't really want to meet the needs of the American people. But let me say to those people, because all of my colleagues, we represent these people. Uh, I have for over 30 years represented my constituents. Uh, I know what their needs are. I listen to them, and their needs are not addressed in the president's proposal. Congress hasn't met the needs of the American people at all. The New York Times, Axios, have reported that 8 million Americans have fallen into poverty since May. And it's ironic that I would start the podcast, you know, with a, a quote about nonpartisanship because Congress, Democrats and Republicans, the establishment Dems, establishment Republicans in this country are decidedly, if not nonpartisan, then one party. And that one party is capitalism or is, you know, or, or corporate interest. The one time that Congress was able to come together during this entire pandemic was when it was time to fit that corporate bailout and that stimulus bill. They had no problems with that. Keep that same energy when you're taking care of business for the American people, period. But what happens is, is that, you know, people get on these shows and I feel the same way about the presidential debates and town halls and this type of stuff. It ends up becoming political theater because people see two talking heads arguing on a TV screen. It's like, oh, man, this must be really important. But I do want to make this about the Democrats. And I want and I do want to mention this, too, because the way that the Democrats engage black folks politically is unforgivable. Well, it's time to get black people to vote. Which uh, rapper can we reach out to? So Joe Biden says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the 2000 Atlanta's rap scene. I'm going to bring back Ludacris, Jermaine Dupree, and we're going to do some commercials. We're going to bring back, I think Jeezy's going to be in those, T.I. Come on, man. That is not authentic political engagement. Or we'll show strippers on Facebook. That's how we'll get them to vote for us. And if that doesn't work, we'll go with the old bread and butter. Let's have a couple of political conversations in a barbershop. And the most disgusting part, <laughs> if you give... Anything less than complete loyalty to the Democratic Party, you're not black. And that's the part of the discussion with Ice Cube that we cannot trivialize is that Ice Cube said, you know what? I'm not going to be disrespected by the Democrats any longer. And if we keep in a G today, if we're going to keep it a buck, we should be way madder at the Democratic Party than we should ever be with Ice Cube because Ice Cube approached this thing in good faith. Democrats, hell no, not even close. And saying that doesn't make me a Republican. It makes me nonpartisan with a focus on black American issues. I'm not done talking about politics being done in bad faith, but I want to talk about it uh, after this music break. It seems prudent to play a selection from Ice Cube. This is actually from his debut album, America's Most Wanted. Uh, this song is entitled Endangered Species. And if you're listening with some young folks, come on back around a 31 minute mark. And thank you for listening to Making a Difference. At the bottom of our news tonight, there's been a new animal aimed in the direction of falling off the face of the earth. Yes, young black teenagers are recorded to be the oldest and the newest creatures added to the endangered species list. As of now, the government has not made steps to preserve the blacks. When asked why, a top law official adds, because they make good games.
Diva, tell them follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. This is Jared Williams, Democrat running for district attorney in Richmond, Burke, and Columbia counties. Kids belong in classrooms, not courtrooms. Young people need job sites, not jail cells. And we need a district attorney's office that respects, reflects, and protects the entire community. I'm Jared Williams, and I need your vote. Democrat Jared Williams for district attorney. Paid for by the committee to elect Jared Williams district attorney. Hey, y'all. We're going to get back to the show in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about my good friends over at Quick Print Augusta. I want to tell you about some of the services they provide. They do family reunion t-shirts, political flyers, logo designs, church programs, church fans, brochures, business cards, and banners. So if you need any of those things, and I'm pretty sure you do, give them a call at 706-750-9779. That's 706-750-9779. You can also shoot them an email at info at quickprintaugusta.com. Info at quickprintaugusta.com. You can also hit them up on Facebook at quickprintaugusta. But wait, there's more. If you mention making a difference to the good folks at Quick Print Augusta, they will give you 10% off of your order. Again, if you mention MAD, making a difference, they'll give you 10% off. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I think this is actually going to be my favorite segment of the entire podcast because I get to tell the naked truth about politics and 
a re- the redistribution of wealth in politics. And I, I'm just going to just make this a general commentary about why things are the way they are and why the lot of us have less than an ice cubes chance in hell, because I think that's the, that's what I, I really want people to kind of get where we are because people think, you know, I'm going to vote and I'm, I'm making a difference. And I want to start in terms of talking about voting. It's everywhere. And, you know, you go on, you go on social media, they're telling you to vote. You listen to the radio, they're telling you to vote. You even go, you know, you look in the freezer section, you just want to get some hot pockets and somebody, someone's telling you to vote. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is that first and foremost, why do all these corporate entities care about me voting? And you have to ask yourself that question from the perspective that corporations have already secured the interests of both the Democratic and the Republican Party. We've already established that the one thing that Democrats and Republicans can agree on is how to serve corporate interests. So why then do corporations come back and say, hey, vote, 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 if they've already secured the power within the political realm? And the realization that you come back with is that, you know, this voting thing is not as dire as we all make it out to be. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. What I'm saying is, is that you have to look at voting from the right perspective. And this is why I always go back and say, look, the your local elections are always going to be your most important elections, because those are the folks whom you're going to have more access to than you would a state and federal. And so it goes with a person who does uh, an independent who has an independent media outlet and does podcasting. The conversation I ha- the conversations that I have, and it's not by coincidence, and the support that I get, I get overwhelmingly uh, from local entities, from local candidates, candidates whom run the gamut of folks who, you know, have you know been in office for many years, folks who are first time candidates, and even to that effect, my experience is that the more established a candidate. Uh, the less likely they are to want to speak on this podcast. And I do take that as a sign of disrespect. Now, I don't want this to turn into a rant. So I want to take a step back and let's take the state of Georgia. Okay. So undoubtedly the state of Georgia is like everywhere else where, you know, you're getting all of these messages to go vote. You know, you turn on the radio, go vote. You turn on the TV, go vote. You know, it's, hey, it's ludicrous, Jeezy, T.I., all these people are telling you to go vote. So in Georgia, you go vote. Matter of fact, the first day of early voting, you go to vote. And in some places, you end up waiting 11 hours to vote. Now, some people say that's a badge of honor. That's it's an honor to be able to wait 11 hours to be able to vote. And my response is, no, it's not. It's a poll tax. (laughs) Uh, some of us work eight hour shifts. Some of us work 12 hour shifts. If you, if you're in one place for 11 hours, uh, you just did a job, um, sir, or ma'am, a job that you weren't paid for, I might add, but it just goes back to this mythos that we've put behind voting as black people. And we see voting as the end, um, as opposed to a means to an end. And I'm even hesitant to say a means to an end because I, I, firmly believe that our ancestors saw voting as a means to access and the access and the freedom was what they were after, not the voting itself. I think we've reached a point now in terms of voting that I feel like 
a significant portion of black Americans are satisfied with, hey, as long as I can vote without, you know, a, the a perceived suppression or this notion of suppression, as long as I don't feel like my I'm being deterred from voting, I'm good. And you have to understand that voting is is part of an extended process to get you rights that you should already have by virtue of being a taxpayer. So, yeah, you could vote, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to have clean water in your communities. Yeah, you could vote, but it doesn't guarantee that the police aren't going to hit you upside the head. As a matter of fact, both political parties are saying we need more police. Um, as a matter of fact, voting doesn't ensure environmental justice because, hey, both parties are saying fracking. That's cool. And so the evolution that should take place in terms of how we see voting is that voting is not enough. There's got to be some type of mobilizing. There's got to be some type of organization. There's got to be some type of grassroots uh, dynamic or event or events that happen to say, you know what? I'm not even though I, I voted. That is the beginning of the process for the simple reason that voting doesn't even necessarily guarantee that you're going to get the candidate whom you voted for. So if you don't get the candidate um, whom you vote, whom you voted for, do you then say, OK, well, I'm done with the political process? Absolutely not. That's not an acceptable answer. Someone has still been elected to represent you. And if that person is not doing what they're supposed to be doing within the context of representing you, you have every right to raise hell and you should raise hell. That's why I think one of the corniest things that people say is that, you know, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Hell, you say that's like you go into a restaurant, you order a burger and they give you nuggets. Are you going to take that? Absolutely not. Why? Because you're a paying customer. And so it goes with politics. And that's just an entry level perspective, because I also want to look at this from the perspective of candidates, because if you're a candidate and you're serious about running for political office, I tell people you got to you're running a campaign three to four years even before, you know, your your election comes up, because the first thing that has to happen is or well, not, not the first thing, but because th this is something that is perpetually a part of the process. Name recognition. If you're a candidate, if you're a name whom nobody knows, a lot of what it's going to take for you to get elected is for people to know who you are. And so the that part of it is going to take you going to meetings. It's going to take you interacting with people. It's going to take you, you know, um, walking around and, you know, putting boots on the grounds like what people like to say. So the first part of that is getting to know you. The second part of, of that is letting people know what it is that you stand for. And if people can identify with that or uh, not, well, and or can people identify with the things that you stand for? Do the things you stand for inspire people or do they deter people? And that's a lot of, like I said, my angst with the Democrats is, is that Democrats want brand loyalty or demand loyalty, but there's never anything that they give you that's inspirational. So as a entry level or first time candidate, it's name recognition. It's what you it's what is it that you're standing for? And then finally, it's actually learning the learning the office, learning the position um, that you're going to be in. And that and I'm, I'm saying this because if you're a first time candidate and I appreciate you for, for listening to this podcast, if you don't win, honestly, ask yourself, how long was it before you got before you got started in the process of um, becoming electable? Because if the answer to that question is six months, nine months, 12 months, even 18 months, it's probably not enough time. Probably should have been 24 months, probably should have been 36 months, not just in terms of the things that I'm talking about, but also the reality 
that it costs a lot to run for political office. And so you're going to need maybe three to four years to save up the income or to fundraise in a way that's going to make your campaign efficient. That's going to give you the money that you need to advertise on TV, to buy political signs, you know, to do radio, to do podcasts, to do all of these different things and not be looking around like, well, I'm down to my last 300 or $400. So I'm just going to do what everybody else has always done and hope that this yields some type of victory. No, that's not how this works. And with that understanding, this is why I also have a love hate relationship with folks who are running on a state level and on a federal level, because you hear about these individuals who are raising tens of millions of dollars in their campaigns. And instead of reinvesting in independent media, they invest in business as usual. There's no way I should be reaching out to candidates who represent my district, who have raised millions of dollars. And I say, hmm, I would like for you to advertise on my show for, let's say, $500. And you look at me crazy. It's it's inexcusable. That's an infinitesimal amount. But the message has already been sent. Look, we're not here to support independent media. We're not here to invest in political awareness we're here to invest in brand loyalty and if you're not with the gang we're not giving you no money and that's why it's literally politics as usual that's why nothing ever changes except for things get worse and you end up finding yourself in a situation like where the country is now where everything's moving politically to the right and so you have a republican party a t-publican party that you know we can't go we can't go far enough to the right. And then so the Democrats, instead of saying, you know what, we got to get this thing back to the center. They're saying, no, we're going to put more money in the police. We're not going to take a stance on environmental justice. So everything is moving to the right. So whether you get Biden or whether you get Trump, the country is ideologically in a space where you're not going to get what you need to get in terms of health care. You're not going to get what you need to get in terms of policing. You're not going to get what you need to get in terms of the environment. And this stuff trickles down because, and this is one of the biggest complaints I have about the Democrats right now, is that you let the GOP control the narrative and you let them dictate what it is that you will say or what you won't say on these important issues. Like, I mean, do we not care about George Floyd anymore? Do we not care about Breonna Taylor anymore? Do we not care about Black Lives Matter anymore? Or are those just steps to use toward uh, gaining a a political foothold? And I already know the answer to that question. That's why I do the podcast in the way that I do it. That's why it, you know, it's cool to say, hey, you know, I've talked to this person or that person. And those conversations, you know, people may want to hear what those people have to say. But I can tell you right now, those these people are not saying what it is uh, that needs to be said that's going to create the profound change in your life or my life. That's not going to create the profound change in working class people's life because that's not where the money is. And I don't think I'm being vague about this at all. I don't have to name names. I think you can look at most political campaigns, particularly, you know, uh, the prominent ones, like I said, state, federal uh, elections where people have raised millions of dollars. And the darnest thing to me about raising millions of dollars is, is that we're literally living in the middle of a pandemic. Like you have so many people in poverty, you have so many people who are unemployed and being, you know, uh, booted out of their homes and, you know, wherever it is that they may be living. And with all of this stuff going on, you still have this corporate duopoly. You still have this one party or if you want to call it two party system, that's fine. But this one party system 
that's raising millions of dollars to engage in politics as usual. Instead of giving that money or redistributing that wealth, even the cause of reducing or eliminating voter suppression. And this is the thing I'm going to call Fairify out. And I got to call Stacey Abrams out because Fairify has raised $32 million with the promise of curbing or eliminating voter suppression. And people are still standing outside 11 hours to vote for candidates whom are not going to hear what they have to say. And four years later, you're going to be going through the same cycle of standing in line 11 hours to vote for these people who aren't going to listen to you. And you're going to stand in line voting for them 11 hours. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And at some point, you should want to get off that carousel. How do you raise $32 million and still have significant pockets of voter suppression? And the answer is simple. If you go and you look at where the money's been given to, uh, the $32 million, a lot of that money's been given to state Democratic parties. So you're giving the money back to, to politics as usual. And that's why I'm so grateful for the name of this episode. Uh, it wasn't a so much of a dig at Ice Cube. It was the reality of where we are in this country, because as hyper polarized as our, as our politics are, at the end of the day, both parties are committed to taking a big dump on working class Americans. And this is why as much as we have conversations about race and not just conversations, but we really need to have a progressive mindset toward what we're going to do about race because we know the problems. We also have to understand that class warfare is real and so your discussions about race if they're not going to also be discussions about class you're going to be lost because there are some black people who are in this in a situation where they are perfectly satisfied with the status quo and it's not acceptable because the status quo is not going to uplift black people as a community if you want to call it a community i tend to trend toward black people it's not going to uplift us as a people and so what you get whether it's pelosi or trump or schumer or mcconnell is you get a bunch of cap and the problem with a lot of us is the only cap that we worried about is that cap that says make America great again. That cap makes us so mad, but it's so much cap going on in the political realm. And you really got to take a step back sometimes and say, look, what does all of this mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my children? What does it mean for the people that in the community around me? Is there a truly progressive movement that's going on in my community? And if that movement is not going on in that community, what can I do to get it started? This podcast is a progressive movement. It may not be as going as fast as I want it to go. But it's going in the right direction. And as long as I'm on this path, I'm going to hold people accountable, regardless of political affiliations and regardless of whether you like them or not. And that is going to wrap up another dope episode of Making a Difference. I appreciate you guys listening in. I want to encourage you to support independent black media. I've heard about people giving to political campaigns. I don't understand why Uh, the Biden campaign has raised. I want to say since June or July, one point two billion dollars. And if you're giving to the Biden campaign, At this point, what in the hell are you doing? Give that money to independent black media. Uh, You can donate to Making a Different Show. Uh, You can uh, donate by Cash App. It's dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N, a a different show. You can also uh, become a month to month uh, supporter through Patreon. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making M-A-K-I-N, a different show. If you don't have the money to support, and I understand that's a reality for a lot of folks, you can always share the podcast. Let people know, hey, there's somebody who's really speaking the truth to power about politics. There's somebody who's really speaking the truth about things that are going on on a local level, state level, federal level. It means so much for you guys to share podcasts and to have conversations about the things that you hear on this show. And as a matter of fact, it's those conversations that you all have and, and the standard that 
I've created on making a difference that has brought you guys to, to me to say, hey, Kim, we want you to talk about, you know, uh, Ice Cube. We want you to talk about the contract with Black America. And I hope I've done you all proud to where you all will continue uh, to come to me um, to talk about, you know, issues that are relevant, that are affecting black people. And with that, I want to say love you guys so much. I'm Ken Macon and I am making a difference. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.